the humanities and social sciences. Welcome to another episode of Oh, the Humanities and the Social Sciences, the hashtag Hashchat podcast. I'm Marco Cimino, and this episode I'm joined by David Roy, who is talking arts education, disability and inclusion, and the current state of Australian education. In this episode, I'm joined by uh, David Roy. Uh, David, welcome. Hello. Nice to be here with you, Marco. And thank you very much for uh, agreeing to appear on the uh, appear on the show. It's great to have you. Yeah. Um, look, we're, uh, we're going to have a bit of a chat about uh, drama, arts, education uh, and inclusion. However, before we start, I thought maybe it'd be a great idea for you to orient the readers um, a little bit about yourself. Who are you and, and what's your role in education? Right, sure. Well, as, uh, as your readers, listeners can tell, um, I originate from far north of Australia in uh, the Bonnie Isles of Scotland. Um, <laughs> I was actually uh, originally a, an actor and a musician, uh, did a lot of directing, worked a bit in dance as well and um, realized what I loved doing was actually working with young people in workshops um, and moved into teaching. And I was a, a teacher for 17 years, both in, in Scotland and bits of Europe. And then when uh, myself and my family, we moved to Australia. And as a, when I was teaching in Australia, um, I was kind of nabbed by the University of Newcastle, who asked me to join their ranks. And for the last 10 years, I've been there. Uh, so that's basically my background. And, and although I, I have an arts base, I, I was a he- head of drama and then moved into kind of um, management and then escaped from that again. Um, my research led me, uh, when looking at the, what drama can do with children in the classroom, I started to see all these aspects of disability and inclusion that were playing within it. And that opened up a whole world that I'd already been involved in, I realized, for the last 20 years as a teacher. And it made me realize there were some also issues with an inclusion, led me to um, kind of get involved in politics and initiate a parliamentary inquiry in New South Wales, which I'm still dealing with the aftermath with the Department of Education and supporting them. So, yes, my, my life has, has gone on unexpectedly in new directions, unplanned for basically my 50 years of life. Right now, uh, thank you very much for that intro. Now, uh, you mentioned the parliamentary inquiry. Do, are you able to, to talk through about what that was about? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, we realised that there were challenges for children with a disability in New South Wales, in fact, across Australia. And uh, starting to just make contact and meet with politicians and being a big mouth, and apparently because you're an academic, suddenly that gives you some sort of status you never had as a teacher, which is... I think it's false and, and rubbish, but that, that's what society does. Um, we started to challenge some of the lack of inclusion, some of the stories that we were hearing from parents uh, and from children of maltreatment, etc. And so we, we pushed this towards all the parties and they actually came together. Uh, we got them united to have an inquiry into how children with a disability are treated within New South Wales. We, we pulled on working with parents as well as with other academics and teachers. Um, and some some terrible things came out. Some wonderful things came out. And it's now moved forward from the report to the acceptance of what was being accepted by the government and the Department of Education to the Department of Education is now making significant changes with a, a whole group of us of, uh, of academics 
academics and mainly teachers working together to look at what is the best practice to make the best outcomes to allow all children to succeed across the board. So it's a, it's a really positive thing that has come out from something quite negative. And there's still massive issues and there's still potentially going to be a Royal Commission into the bigger issues. Um, but that's where we are in that place. And the arts and the humanities, we found, have been core within that in supporting and leading some of the concepts and ideas. And look, and look, it is a, it is a great place to start as well. I know you said that, that there is going to be a much bigger inquiry a bit later on, but you've got to start somewhere in order yeah. to, to uh, you know, to, to, to really tackle these issues. Um how do you see the role, or what what role do you see the arts play in a K to twelve sphere? Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure you you probably hear or see all the time in the media the push towards things like STEM and coding and AI, etc. Yeah. Um, and look, personally, I think that that both the humanities, arts, social sciences, and STEM they can work together. That it's 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 a false dichotomy there that um, you know you can either have one or the other. They can both work together. Well. I- um, Absolutely. I, I, I guess one of the contexts I also come from, and I'm actually sitting here doing this wearing a NASA t-shirt. Uh, I come from a family of scientists. My father was a professor right. of astronomy, uh, amongst many other things, and actually worked did some work for NASA, amongst other places. And um, he, he always brought me back to, when, it, when I got involved in theatre, he said, this is great, because what it is, it's about knowledge. Science used to not be referred to as science. It was referred to as natural philosophy. Because I come from the perspective, I guess, of a polymath, where all knowledge feeds into each other. You cannot have the sciences or, the ma- or mathematics. You cannot have STEM without arts and humanities. They, you cannot have arts and humanities without STEM. They, they coexist and they, they, they are parasitically existing or in a positive way off each other. That the arts bring an element of humanity and of ethics and of purpose to why we have science. You can have scientific discoveries, but the reason that we use science and maths is for the human condition which is what the humanities explore and expand upon in knowledges. So I, I don't get this just STEM. Um, I love the idea of STEAM, but that then leads other people to add in a whole pile of other letters that just means you're slightly vomiting a Mary Poppins song. So um, <laughs> and, and I just see it all working together. And why should there be a competition? Part of the problem we've developed in schools is we've set up a school structure where different departments compete with each other to get student numbers. So it creates a divide within staff and with education and with knowledges. And this happens at university level, that maybe universities are more responsible than others. And in society, when in actual fact, we should be working collegially together, particularly if we're going to take on board these 21st supposed skills that that children need to have and already we have the battles going on between if they exist or not so yeah and, and, <laughs> yeah, and, look, and i particularly like the way you mentioned that they've uh, sort of like a, a parasitic um <laughs> existence they've got where they uh, they sort of feed on each other yeah. um i was actually I, I saw an image a while ago where um i believe it was, it was something along the lines of uh, stem can tell you how to build a nuclear weapon but has uh, told you why you shouldn't use it. <laughs> or maybe should. No, no, you shouldn't use yeah. nuclear weapons. Like, <laughs> let's get that. Yeah, that's exactly it. We, we learn from history. We get an understanding from our language. We then can communicate using the arts and English. And I see English should be part of the arts. Because again, we're, we're siloing even 
arts subjects into mini silos as well. Uh, all of these things work together so that we have an understanding. Climate change, we need the arts along with science, along with engineering, along with mathematics to say, what do we do about the way that we're slowly destroying this planet? And they are interlinked together. One of the most important kind of moving forwards in people's general awareness was Al Gore's book that became the film An Inconvenient Truth. Now, is that science or is that humanities or is it both? Because that's what films are. They are that blending. I get excited about the Oscars when they come up because they give awards for all these aspects. It's a humanities and science awards as well because great invention come out from for cinema comes out from wanting to communicate arts and history uh, and, and stories to the world. Yeah, look, beautifully, um, beautifully put there. And I guess, I guess it's it's that trying to break down those silos, particularly mm. as you said in um, in in the school systems as well. Where um, I, I was, I was actually, I did have a note to talk about this later on. I'm, I'm not going to make an assumption, <laughs> but have have you read Have you read Creative Schools by Ken Robinson? Yes, I have indeed, and um, that was one of the aspects that I was relating to when I said already the arguments are forming on these general skills because yeah. there are individuals uh, who've got valid points to make who criticise Ken Robinson's uh, simplification of the issues of creativity as they see it. And again, there's people who've got issues with those individuals uh, who come from the Ken Robinson world who think that they are dismissing an important message. I think both sides have got something to offer. And again, moving into those trenches, those silos of concepts, ideologies and ideas doesn't help anyone. Ken Robinson is communicating to a generalist audience, but he's yeah. making some very important points. And he is a man who has great experience within the education system. Um, he, he's not Sir Ken Robinson uh, because he was born that way. He, because of his involvement in leading educational change in the UK, led him to a knighthood. And, and and do you agree? Uh, thank you very much. And do you agree that his his hierarchy of you know the mathematics and um, uh, and languages, uh, literature being up the top, and then unfortunately arts being down the bottom of that hierarchy. Do you believe that that is something that most school systems or most education systems have? Oh, absolutely. You you see it within the timetable. Um, there is no question. Now, I think there's some valid reasons for promoting numeracy and literacy at the beginning of a student's educational experience because you need those skills, those tools, to then access other forms of knowledge. But at the same at the same time, um, English been put there as a hierarchy when it in itself is an art and too many people forget that English is also a creative art and the form of English that is taught in schools once you've gone beyond literacy basic literacy and language understanding you're just straight into creative arts and, and appreciation because the majority of work that is done in year 11 and 12 within the English classroom is highly specialised and not really relevant to the everyday worker. Same goes for maths. I know this will sound heretical to many people, but year 11 and 12 maths, how, I know that I, for myself, I think arithmetic is key to my everyday living, but I'm, I don't think I've ever hit a cost tan or sign button on a calculator since I did my final exam at school. So that was like more than 30 years ago, giving my age away. So there's some things we've got to start asking and say, why do we have to year 12 maths? Why is that important? Isn't arithmetic more important? Should we maybe be freeing up space for students to actually have a more polymath, wider experience of knowledges? 
but that's quite a radical solution. And why is English language taught from the English classroom? Why isn't it taught by the language teachers? Because it's a language. So, or by the drama teachers. Why can we not open up those aspects within the curriculum instead of creating these silos? Look at the knowledges that children need, look at the skills that children need, look at the experiences that children need, because those are three different things, knowledge, skills and experiences, and see where they're best suited and how schools could run. I think we need a radical overhaul. Um, and I, I would literally burn down the system if I could. Oh, look, and there are, I'm sure there are very many people that uh, that would agree, and there are a lot of people that probably would disagree that the system's um, um, broken or, or needs an overhaul. I agree that the system needs an overhaul, and there needs to be, uh, you know, a, a breakdown of those silos. And a lot of people always always talk about, you know, Finland always being the number one, um, yeah. uh, the number one school system to look at. However, there's also that 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 that. Um, the context that we need to look at as well, where it, it's not going to work. We can't just take what's happening in Finland or other parts no. of the world and, and bring it here, and it's going to automatically be that magic, you know, silver bullet that's going to fix everything. I, um, I think Finland is picked on because it is a Western society, and so there is more a commonality towards Australia or America or the United Kingdom, which all are very, very. Those three together are are very similar. People say that Australia has its own unique system. We don't. Let me be honest, I didn't need to retrain to teach here, and I've worked with American schools and teachers as well. We could look at Korea or Singapore and look at the success of their systems. They do very different things. One of the things I have noted of late, and I made this comment in an educator article last year, was all the most successful systems in the world introduce a second language in early primary to their students. And that makes students, I believe, think in a different way because they start to understand language. And those countries which are struggling within the so-called PISA, uh, you know, listings, you know, the top 10, um, they really don't bother with second languages to the same degree. And languages is a humanity. So there's something going on there that I think is, is needing to be looked at as well. Um, perhaps it's something I should apply for a massive big grant and get millions of dollars. <laughs> I, I don't quite work that way. I tend to do things for no money. <laughs> <laughs> and look, you're right. I believe there there is there is a rich um, a, a rich amount of research that says that um, be, being bilingual or multilingual, um, you know, learning that second language as a child later on in life, it, it, there's a lot of benefit there for you. Yeah, I, I'm continually referring back in my day to day life with my kids. Uh, when I'm out and about in my work, um, at languages that I've had the, the pleasure to have some experience of. I, I was introduced to French and to show my age Latin uh, at an early age. And so I can understand where where our sentence structures come from, which gives me a greater power, hopefully, in my writing when I, when I try to do it. I think we should be looking at lots of systems and saying, what, why is that working? How can we use aspects of that? The problem we've got in our education system is that we say, well, let's let's change the curriculum. Let's have a curriculum review, as New South Wales is doing just now. That's just tinkering at the edges. If you want to make fundamental changes, you've got to go to look at every aspect. That includes social housing. That includes parental income and wages. 
all these aspects feed into success or lack of success in schools. Uh, looking at teacher training, looking at uh, to be on the money of, of the politics of today, to look at the wages of teachers and are we getting the best quality teachers into the system and should we be doing something about that? All these factors play together. Um, it, schools themselves can't fix the problems. They need society to work in it and tinkering with a curriculum will do hee-haw good because those kids who are able will find the knowledge themselves without yeah, look, our help. You're right. Look, we, there needs to be it, it needs to be a, a whole systemic change. You can't just be a few schools that band together and yeah. say let's do X and Y because if there's no support from uh, from further up the uh, further up the the, the command, um, nothing will work. Well, I mean, there was an interesting Twitter conversation that I was observing, and I chose not to get involved because I come from a drama background where they were discussing teacher wages and they were saying, well, sh- if we want to get better people at IT in there, we should be paying them more. Uh, should we be paying an IT teacher the same as a drama teacher? And, and they were kind of having, they were valuing those subjects. And I kind of thought about this to myself and I went, you know what, coding? Coding's the big thing for everyone. But if I was a highly creative, successful person, and you tend to note that those are in charge of the companies of Amazon and Apple and Google and Facebook, they're actually highly creative. Yes, they can maybe code, but they don't code now. They, they get some minion for them to do that. What I would call in the few, I believe in the 21st century, coding will be the blue collar worker. It will be like the individual on the car manufacturing floor sticking in the bits and pieces to make the car. But they're not the one designing the car. The person designing the car has got a humanities background. And that's why coding will be important for everyone, but it will be a language to learn, but it won't be the skill needed by those who want to be successful. Those to be successful will need philosophy, will need the ability to communicate verbally, physically, because that's part of communication skills, and also through written. And I know I'm biased, but gee, what subject teaches that? English and drama teach that. And history to a degree, but that's because history is stealing from drama. Um, <laughs> and that what sub- you'll need to be able to collaborate. Gee, again, what subjects teach collaboration? You're talking about your humanities subjects because you work in groups doing research, doing pre- presentations. You're going to need to have empathy and understanding. Where do you get that from? We, that will be the humanities again. So the humanities, I think, are going to rise once more as businesses say, that's who we need. We need the philosophers. We need the historians. We need the geographers. We, we need the sociology, psychology. We need English. We need drama. We need visual art. We maybe have to consider, do we need dance? Because that's being stolen into physical education. But and that's got its role to, to a degree. We will, need the, we will need the musicians. But they all work together with the scientists, with the engineers. Well, exactly. And, and you were mentioning, um, you know, People that run these tech companies, yes, they know how to code, but they probably don't do it now. They probably have a little minion down the down the line that does it for them as well. Um, but particularly in this current climate of of um, data being collected from everyone that uses any bit of technology, people are now becoming a lot more aware of. But what's the ethical issue surrounding this as well? Yeah. It's all well and good to use this tech that's been created by someone, but like we said before, the you know STEM can build you a nuclear weapon, but only Hass can tell you whether you should use it or not, or why you shouldn't use it. 
So yes, we can code all this great technology. We can have all this great tech at our fingertips, but what are we doing with it and what's it doing to our lives? Well, that's the whole thing. We've done such a focus on STEM that we've forgotten about the ethical implications and the legal requirements. And again, legal understanding comes from a Haas perspective. It's the Haas um, students who become the lawyers. It's not the STEM students that become the lawyers unless unless they develop a Haas understanding later on in life. So we have to catch up with the ethics. Now, this has been our problem throughout society. We also go through peaks and troughs of this. When the Industrial Revolution took place, STEM actually thrived in different kind of forms and manners. And then ethics came into play and Haas came into play and that then started to thrive again. And we're going through another technological industrial revolution where STEM is is taking over and getting the funding. But trust me, Haas will return. It's a bit like the Terminator. <laughs> I will be back. Yeah. I was gonna I was gonna quote Battlestar Galactica instead. <laughs> uh, you know, all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. <laughs> Obviously, um, that's, that's modern Battlestar Galactica. Yes, the, the new 2004 reimagined <laughs> version. <laughs> Not the 1980s that I remember with Lord Green. Um, oh, look, that was a great series as well. I do really yeah. uh, I do love Battlestar Galactica. Um, look, uh, I thought we might change track a little bit and have a look specifically at arts as inclusion. So yeah. um, maybe having a chat about – so how can arts, drama, dance – How can how, you mentioned before, you know, it, it's great for inclusion, but how, how, how do you think it can actually include students with disability? Or what can be done to include students with disability into dance, drama, art? Here's the wonderful thing. When you go into a dance, drama, art, music classroom, students with a disability have never not been included. There's never been an issue. There's never been much needed to be adapted for them. It's often where they can leave the label behind and just be accepted. Some of the some of the, the greatest experiences I had as a teacher, I can go back to the 90s when I was a teacher, and I remember certain key students who had autism and drama was the only subject that they got their year 12 certificate in. Um, the, the reason being is the arts, at their heart, are a form of communication. They allow us to communicate the inexpressible that we are normally trying to find ways to communicate in society. And society creates barriers for disability. That's why it is a disability. It's not that people can't do things. It's the fact that we have constructed society means these people can't access fully into society. And the arts gives them tools. When you have a physical limitation, and many children with even neurological disabilities such as autism or dyspraxia or sensory processing disorder have actually got coordination issues, have got movement issues. Well, drama and dance allow them to practice and rehearse their movements so that without competition, without threat, without uh, feeling failure, and they can then develop within those areas. And art does that as well through hand fine motor skill movement. And it gives them a form of communicating what is in them for others to then understand in another form of language that we all can access together. So while you you or I might be able to access things in society without and, and making an assumption about different aspects of us, because we don't know where we each have disabilities, and it's only up to us to share that when we want to, but we can access society and communicate and, uh, and interact with others in an easier form because we have both been successful in society in our own way. Many of these children most are struggling at that point, and the arts give them that opportunity through painting, through drama, through role play, through creating music. Um, I, just even the other 
even this morning I was looking at a, a Twitter video of a child who, who has Down syndrome and is about two years old and the big sister was playing a guitar to that child, You're My Sunshine, and the child's joy was coming through and they're singing along with it even if it's in a, a, a slightly atonal way and they were communicating and engaging and you know that's not what would happen in some classrooms unfortunately. So we know the arts can give access we just need to give opportunity to children. And what we have discovered in my research within this whole area is that I find it hard to see why we exclude kids when they can be included in most things. So for me, mainstream inclusion is the way to go. It's a lot of hard work. But that's why we don't have streaming now, because streaming made life easier. But now we don't stream because it's a bit harder, but we know it benefits the all. And by excluding into special classrooms and settings, that's a form of streaming that we know doesn't benefit either side. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. I was actually, I was actually going to a, um, actually, you mentioned a Twitter chat, and I saw um, a few months ago now, but um, a, a quote from someone in an article or a blog. I can't remember if it was actually a Twitter a, a tweet they put up, um, but they were looking at the idea of at what point does differentiation in a classroom then turn into special education yeah well every child that i come across has got a learning need at some point and somewhere and we meet that need whether it's because the the, the work they're being given isn't challenging enough or the work is too challenging the job of a teacher is to say where can i support this kid and also stretch them and it shouldn't matter the label that child has that's the role of a teacher is to take a kid from where they are and help to lift them up to the next point. It's that simple. And why do we say, except for some kids, we won't do that. We'll leave that to someone else to do. Because I'm getting paid money, but I'm not getting paid enough to deal with that kind of child because it's too difficult. That's the attitude that we need to make sure no one has. So differentiation, I have no issue with. But differentiation must be purposeful, and it must be meaningful. And in some ways, all differentiation is special education. I, I have issues with that name, as do many of us, special education. Why should some education be special and other education not? So I know it sounds semantics, but I see a child with a learning need, I support that need. Full stop. It might be literacy, it might be numeracy, it might be in holding a pencil or holding a pen. Um, it, it makes no difference. Don't just look at the deficits. Look at the assets that children bring as well. Well, of course, and look, and there's so many, uh, there's so many um, tools available, both both you know high tech and low tech, that make inclusion so much easier as well. So there's no yeah. real excuse to be able to say, but I can't include someone. No, and, um, it, and it impacts you know there, there might be some circumstances, you know, very rare instance where there's something that is extremely hard to do. Yeah, but there shouldn't be any excuses for not being able to give any kid access to a quality education. Exactly. And with the new NCC uh, D, the, the, the data collection that comes through from Australia, where uh, wider Australia, which says, have you got a recognised need? It doesn't need a medical diagnosis. Therefore, that needs supported. That's what schools then put into their states. That's what the state puts into federal government. And the federal government goes, yep, and gives that. That's how the money gets allocated. So if we want to say, well, we have these children we need, we need funding, well, then we've got to actually be supporting those kids to then get the funding. Part of the problem we've got in the current dialogue about Gonski is we've got schools and systems saying, we need money, give it to us, and then we'll decide how to use it. No, let them know this is what you need it for, 
and then you can get the money. That's how business works. That's how the education system should be working. And that would then undermine those who want to diminish public schools. Not that I think that public schools are any better than independent or Catholic sectors. To me, they are schools that are meeting kids' needs with teachers wanting to meet kids' needs. So get rid of these labels again and just think about what's best for kids in that setting. And we can deal with the wider political ramifications of how we structure our school system down the line. Let's get money to these kids. Let's support them all. Let's have them in where we can in the mainstream. Behaviour can have challenges. Certain disabilities have particular needs that can cause challenges for certain for other special settings. But if we have them in the mainstream in the classroom where they're mixing with every kid, then when they go into society as adults, they will not say, who are these people? And they will be accepted. If we divided by race still, then we'd have racial division within adulthood. If we divided by gender, we'd have gender divide within adulthood or by religion. So let's break down these divides. Let's have everyone together learning so they're accepted into the wider community. And we might have a little less division in our wider society, a few less wars and a few less deaths. But that's a kind you know, of a Hass issue, isn't it? I was about to say, you know, you know what helps build that empathy and that, uh, and that understanding? Hass. Indeed <laughs> so. <laughs> but I think you and I are both coming from a slightly biased perspective. I might be, I might be a bit biased. Yes, that's, that's correct. But we can see the bigger picture. I guess that was because I love science. I love seeing engineering. Those are the kind of things I love to read about because, again, as Hass individuals we've got to engage with in the stem world just as stem world has to engage in the has world and when we work together learn from each other it creates harmony and collegiality and we will have a better education system for all exactly it's breaking the thing the key point there is break down those silos yep. and have that cross cross collaboration across faculties there's one end result that we all want to achieve, quality education for students mm-hmm. all around Australia. And if one faculty is going to do one thing and another faculty is going to do something and they're, they're sort of not working, not they might not be working against each other, but they're certainly not working with each other to achieve that end, there's yeah. not going to be any result. Well, see, the thing I used to do when I was um, both as a head of department and also when I was in a management position, I used to run the school show. But we used to only do it every two years because what we would do is involve every single faculty within the school. Every faculty would take responsibility linked to their knowledge area. So design and technology would take on board set design, working with the art department. And then the science department would take on board lighting. And geography would take on board the stage management and organisation of that, along with mathematics, who would also be involved with business studies, doing the programming and the selling of the... All the different faculties would work together for this one kind of big production each every two years to show this is how knowledges work together and would embed it into the curriculum as well. So kids would be learning about this, the school show and their, and their teaching and then taking part after school at lunchtimes engaged. And we would have nigh on in a school of, say, of a secondary school of about 1,500 kids, we'd have about at least 1,000 kids involved in every school show. Uh, that that's what we do. We collaborate. We work collegially and we show respect to each other for the knowledges because all knowledge is important and it can be used wisely in conjunction with others. Amen. <laughs> I feel like the future at Harry and Meghan's, yeah, <laughs> at and Harry and Meghan's wedding. <laughs>
<laughs> and, and look, and look, it, it's not just like you said; it is a life skill that they they get being able to collaborate. And I know a lot of people um, will argue school's not sure. just you know to get people to get a job, but if you do go into a workplace. You, you know, you, let's say you're an accountant, for example, you're not going to be the only person working yeah. for that company. You need to also deal with sales. You also need to deal with HR. You also need to deal with yeah. – it's kind of like those faculties as well. They're all working together. So by work by collaborating with other students, they're learning that, okay, yes, I, I know education's sole purpose isn't to get people into jobs, but if and when they do enter the workforce, they realize that, okay, I, no. I, I need and to work with other people as well. Life is not a silo. individuals who want to move into promoted management positions have got has somewhere within their life skills that have come into play. Um, so once again, we see that has has that role to play. If you want to be successful, you've got to have has. There's no question about it. Exactly. Oh, that's a great tagline. Uh, we use it to sell um, sell subjects on uh, yep. on subject cool information stuff. not at schools. If you want to be successful, you need Hass. <laughs> oh, look, David, it, it's been great chatting with you um, for this episode. Look, um, is there the any final thoughts you want to leave the uh, listeners to, with before we uh, sign off? I keep being reminded by others is we never stop learning and just listen to every viewpoint. You, I, I sometimes communicate with Mark Latham. I do not agree with his politics, but we do talk because if we don't talk, then we don't understand other people. So just read and learn continually and, and, and work collegially because that's where we get results. And again, if you want success, you want Haas. It's been a pleasure talking to you today, Marco. Um, and I hope what we've, what we've been talking about has not been too boring for people, has made people think. Um, Sometimes it's also maybe challenged or potentially even offended slightly. And that's good because if we are too comfortable, then we're living in a bubble and a bubble is a bad place to be because oxygen runs out and you die. (laughs) (laughs) Well, David, uh, on that note, um, thank you very, very much. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HasChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au